Thank you, Devin. Many of you know uh, Bob Brand that when he was in his younger days, he uh, trained uh, hard to be a basketball player, and uh, at that time he was, uh, he was a guard, and then later on in his life he decided he wanted to be more like Charles Barkley, and so now he's more of a power forward. Uh, but as you look at his training, uh, you might notice that there's something he's training for now. Now instead of basketball, he's training for Duck Dynasty, so uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that works. Anyway, as we begin this morning, uh, we are excited in the Johnson family about having a new addition uh, as Mark and Lori have Hannah Grace and uh, not exactly a little baby, nine pounds, eight and a half ounces. And so uh, she came out uh, uh, ready for our toddler class uh, at church, but she's she's doing well, they're doing well, and uh, we're excited about that. And as we think about new life, that's what God gives us. He gives us life as we think about getting a physical life. He created life for us. And then we have the opportunity to experience spiritual life, life that will last forever uh, with him. And in honor of him, let's look to uh, God's word. Stand with me as we read through Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. At least up through verse 12. As we look at what God has said to us, um, let's look at God's word. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Might it really penetrate our hearts today in a way that makes a difference in how we live and who we live for and for uh, eternal purposes. And we ask this in Christ's name. All God's people said, amen. Well, there is a debate going on um, at least on the internet or on Facebook is when you become a grandpa, does it make you older or make you younger? And I have to uh, quote Jenny Rowland. Some of you might know that. Uh, there were some people who said, I can't jump off trees anymore or do anything kind of halfway crazy. And Jeannie Rowland said, no, no, no. Grandkids make you younger, not older. And that's what I'm choosing to believe. All right. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this next chapter of life as I fill my life with another individual, a precious little child and excited about Helping her to get lost and jump off things. And, you know, you, I always say I, people have been trying to make me change the statement, but you're not really having fun until someone gets hurt. So uh, anyway, we think it's a great way to uh, just embrace life with a, another little one. And, and uh, hopefully she'll live to age two. All right. So but we're, we're, we're excited about having this new life. And as we're excited about life, we're, we're excited about what God gives us. And as I was looking at the passages this past week, and actually as I have opportunity to be in three life groups in a variety of different ways, is I'm recognizing that if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll move on before we really get it. 
Now, the first three chapters that I've emphasized ad nauseum over the last couple of weeks is all about God telling us who we are in Christ, all the blessings he has for us. Now, the problem, however, is, is that we, we get to the point where maybe we've heard it, and maybe we can even say, I thought about it a little bit, and maybe I'm close to believing it, but I'm not really sure I really believe it. Uh, we have a little, uh, what do you call those boxes um, where you put things into it? A, uh, a what? Suggestion box. I couldn't, that didn't come out of my mind at the moment. You know, I'm a grandpa. I can't think of words. Okay. So there was a suggestion. And a number of uh, months ago, someone put this in the suggestion box. And it was probably earlier in our series. And this is what they said. And I think I know who, it's, who wrote it because I can recognize their writing on a card. But they, they said, uh, I would like blessings that are not in disguise. Now, actually, I, I applaud them for writing that down because that's really a reflection of what they're going through and what they're struggling with. And, and sometimes we think of God's blessings as it sounds good, but it doesn't seem to live out. Now, now part of that is because as we think about the blessings God gives us, he then, in a gracious way, says, okay, now I want you to be able to use those blessings as you go through real life. We, we could try to isolate ourselves from realism. We could try to go up on some monastery, some great hill, and not interact with people and not encounter the, the challenges of this life. But God puts us in this world for us to live, not in the midst of light, but in the midst of what? The opposite of light is darkness. You can't speak to me, all right? And so if we're living in a dark world, a fallen world, these blessings that seem amazing and are amazing are are sometimes a struggle to live out and really believe in in the deepest part of our heart. So so what I want to do this morning is uh, I want to speak fast. I want to go over some things we've already talked about, but I only want to do three things. I want to give you a spiritual test, and then I want to give you first steps. Every, Every child, eventually after they turn over and they crawl, they take their first step. And what are the first steps in the Christian life? And, and then we want to look at, okay, now, now, God, what do you want me to start doing? And we'll just touch that this morning because it really is an introduction to what he says next in his letter to the church at Ephesus and his letter to us at Grace Hill. So let's take a spiritual test this morning. Everybody got their blue book and their number two pencil. And, and, and let's, let's take a test that, that is essential for us to, to make sure we know. In fact, it's kind of a pass-fail test. You ever had one of those? You know, pass-fail. You don't get a grade. You just either passed or you failed. And on this particular test, really, you've got to get all the answers right. There's, there's no grading on the curve here. If you get, you know, 70%, you get a C, all right, we'll, we'll let you crawl in. It's not even nine. You've got to get them all right. Or are, you really can't even move on to first steps. And these aren't brilliantly written, but, but they are so key. And spiritual tests begin, first test, in fact, just to let you know, that's not just me making up tests. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says, you need to test yourself. You need to examine yourself to see whether you're really in the faith. You, you don't want to be disqualified. You, you want to make sure this is real. You know, just, just you know, sitting, you know, sitting in a car behind a, a steering wheel doesn't make you a race driver. You know, sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. Hearing a Bible doesn't mean you know what's in it. Saying I'm a Christ follower doesn't mean Christ is actually living in you. 
So here's the spiritual test. First question, and these are pretty easy. They're kind of, I could have written them where they were true, false, but basically they're yes, no questions. So it's, you can, maybe if you just guess, you'll get the right answer. And hopefully we're not guessing. We're really sharing these answers from the heart. Has Christ made you a new person on the inside? Uh, that's pretty basic, isn't it? But that's really what he was saying throughout the first three chapters. I want you to know you're different now. You're special. I, I, I don't no longer see you as a sinner. I see you as a saint. You're not enslaved. You are set free. You are a new person on the inside. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that includes everyone that we're talking about that claims to be a Christ follower. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. And those things that drag us down, the old things have passed away. Don't be living in the past. Behold, all things are new. And so when we, when we struggle in the Christian life and say, oh, man, this, this, that's just the way I am. That's how I'm wired. That's just, that's, that's, that's my destiny because of how I was raised or whatever, my DNA or the, my past failures. I, I can't move beyond that. And God said, don't you get it? You are a new person. Don't look at yourself that way. You are you are my, my, my child who I've created to be holy and blameless. And the issue is simply living that out. So first question, has Christ made you a new person on the inside? And you probably need to remind yourself all the time when you, when you start bagging on yourself or defending your behavior based on whatever it might be. Secondly, is Christ empowering you with the spirit on the inside? Really, you think about the Christian life, it's, it's looking back at what Christ has already done for the Christian, but it's also looking at what, what Christ is already doing now in the Christian. It's past tense and c- continues on in the present and the future, but it's also something he actively does. You know, we all memorize the passages last week, the last month, you know, being filled with the Spirit. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't, don't be unwise. You know, don't be an influence of something else. Be filled with the Spirit. But it's really God living in us. One of my favorite passages in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, my old life is, if I've been crucified, my life is now what? You're not going to be too healthy if you're crucified. You're going to be what? Dead. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. So we didn't get it the first time. So I don't live anymore. But Christ lives where? In me. Now, how that is activated, and I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself for me. So we, we experience that by faith, believing that he's living his life through us. So as we think about the Christian life, the passion and the spiritual test, we are a new person. We have a new identity. And then secondly, we have the Spirit of God, the living God, living his life out through us. And we live that by faith. Thirdly. Is Christ guiding you with his word on the inside? Now, here we're, here's where it gets really, it moves from being so subjective that we can kind of do whatever we want to being very objective. You know, Psalm 119.05, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So in any moment, any day, we know that we are allowing our identity to be lived out, being a new person in Christ. We, we are allowing the spirit of God to empower us to be what he wants us to be. And that's what the Spirit of God does. You shall receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We know that is actually lived out according to God's direction when we follow God's word. In, in fact, a, a great passage, you know, and I put this all on the inside in, in terms of that question. 
in Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So if the word of God is not just surfacing in your life, just constantly, then, then you are, you're living on fumes. You know, like, so like you've got, you've got uh, you know, a great, uh, uh, you know, you've got, a, you've got this monster car that drives really well, but if you don't put all the gas in it, it's, it's not going to perform too well. And so it's the word of God that directs us and ought to be dwelling with it. So, you know, Psalm 119 again says, thy, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. Which, if you put it the opposite way, if, if the word of God is not dwelling in our minds, we will sin against God. Because he, he will not be directing us by his spirit. We won't be living out our new identity because we're not directed by his word. Okay? How are you doing on the, on, the, on the question so far? They're not that hard to answer, but these are the ones we need to live out. Uh, number four, are you willing in all things to obey God? John fourteen twenty one. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved my father, and I will disclose myself to him. So, so as you think about, okay, I'm a new person. You know, God's spirit is living his life through me. The word of God is supposed to direct me. And now I come to a point in my life where I've got a decision to make, and all of a sudden God says go left, and you want to go God says to go left, and you want to go right. And now the question gets very practical, doesn't it? Are you willing to obey God? When when everyone wants to justify actions being okay this direction, and, and you know the Word of God is saying something else, are you willing to obey God? And this is where most of us trip up right here. Why would you do what you did right then? Because I, I wanted to. Okay, that's honest. You, 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 you did that because you wanted to. Could anybody change that want to? Can, can anybody say, okay, that's what you want to do, but here's, here's what you ought to do, and because that person knows better than you do, you will choose to do what he wants you to do rather than you want to do. That's right at the point. That's what obedience is. Obedience is, is, is most played out when someone asks you to do something you don't want to do and you still do it. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, if, it, if, it's, <laughs> if it's just something you want to do, they don't even have to tell you to do it because you're still going to do it anyway, right? So obedience really trips up, us up when we don't want to do it and God says, are you going to deny yourself? Are you going to live the selfless Christian life? Or are you simply going to do what yourself, what your own desires want to dictate for you to do? Fifthly, and this kind of connects with this one. They all really relate. Are are you trusting Christ that he makes you able to obey God? There are certain things I'm willing to do, but then I'm like, I don't know if I can. I'm not sure I can take that step. And that can be in so many different areas. I mean, some of you wonder why I do certain things. Um, and some of those things I shouldn't do. I totally agree with that. But sometimes, you know, I just want to put myself in positions where I'm doing things that are beyond my, my comfort zone. Where I'm not, I'm not holding back, but I'm pushing forward. Now, on a physical level, yeah, yeah, I'd be a little more sane, you know, than some of the things I do. But, and I'm not that crazy. I just kind of clumsy. Maybe not cr- crazy, but clumsy. But spiritually, so many of us hold ourselves back. 
Because at that point, said, so, well, yeah, I'd be willing to, to share my testimony up here on a Sunday morning, but I don't think I could. Well, what do you mean? Is that, are you physically incapable of coming up here and sharing your testimony? Well, no. Would you be willing? Yes. Will you? Now, what I ought to do right now to make this really practical is just randomly pick somebody to come up here and just tell us your story. And you are such a great con. I believe all you could do that. And I'll, unless I get tempted later on, I'll let you off the hook. All right. But see, you see what I'm saying? You know, well, hey, I'm willing. Okay, will you do it right now? Well, wait a minute. I thought this was all hypothetical. Okay, that's where we say, God, if I'm capable, I'm trusting that you will make me able. Now, in case we don't, you know, there's all kinds of promises of God's word that says that. Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works within his church, to all generations forever and ever. So he says, not only true back then in, in the church of Ephesus, it's true today. So it's saying, God, I, okay, I will trust you to be able to do what you want me to do. And it could be as simple as making a telephone call you don't want to make. I, I made some telephone calls this week I did not want to make. Like, I don't want to make this call. But I, I you know, then I said, well, am I willing Am, am, I, am I able? Well, yeah, God can make me make that call. I can, I can dial that and do something I don't... See, it's just, it can be as simple as that. And then finally, and, and this is the good part. I, I, I saved the, 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 the dessert for the last, okay? Are you delighting in Christ for fullness of joy as you obey God? Now, it's not written very well, but I wanted to get all those words in. Really, what, okay, this, after a while you go, man, this is pretty tough stuff. I've got, to, I've got to be willing, I've got to be trusting, I've got to be in God's word, I've got to be controlled by his spirit, I've got to do some things I don't want to do, some things I don't feel like I'm able to do. Well, why would I do that? Because the greatest source of joy in this world is to please the creator of our life and the savior of our life. There, there isn't anything better than pleasing God. He is the source of fullness of joy. There, there are so many passages in Scripture that talk. And isn't that, isn't that true? When you do something you didn't think you could do and you didn't want to do and you did it and something good happened, for someone else, how do you feel? I mean, you feel awesome, don't you? And, and that's what God is saying. I, I will give you abundance of life. But you need to understand that we need to rejoice in the Lord always. And that's when we'll get joy. So there isn't any better life than falling after God fully and completely. But the first six things of the spiritual test must be true of us. Okay? That's the spiritual test. So I've only given you one point. All those others were little sub-points, all right? All right, secondly, what are the first steps? What are the first steps for us? Now, some some people who've been in my life group or been around, you know, I, I kind of adopted a thing a few years ago and haven't been doing real well, which, you know, I'm trying to be kinder and gentler. Okay, so I didn't do too well on two things. Now my goal is to be better on five things, all right? And the reason I want to do that is because as I've gone through this passage, it's kind of hammered me in so many different ways. As Paul begins that section we read, he said, I therefore, prison of the Lord, 
beseech you that you walk uh, worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You know, that pretty flower language says, now, now I want you, I want you to, don't, don't just talk it, I want you to walk it. I want you to be who I made you to be. This is God speaking. I, I want you to live it out in a high calling, a heavenly calling, a, a joyful calling, all, all this. Now, I don't want you to, to put in the leather. I want you to, to be that. Okay, now, so what, what, do I, what do I first need to do? And so after he says that, he then says with lowliness and with gentleness or meekness, uh, with long-suffering or patience, with forbearing love, and with diligence or endeavoring. And so those five things are first steps. So what I've tried to do over the last week or so is uh, review this in my heart and mind every day. Okay, today I want to step out and I want to begin my day, first of all, with lowliness or humility. And why these are so essential is because as we think about what God has made us to be and what he does within us to make us what he wants us to be, that's the spirit of God living through us, the direction he gives us. And as we are willing and, and we are trusting and delighting him, well, okay, well, what do, I, what do I need to do to begin that first step each day? Well, this is a logical progression, the qualities he says here. Humility. What is humility? Is, and you never arrive at humility, do you? I mean, I'm, I'm so proud that I'm humble. Okay, how do you, how do you get there? Well, you've got you to gotta make a choice every day, and, and this is how I put it. It's choosing to admit your need to depend upon God and then looking out for other people's needs as more important than your own. But the first one is so crucial, isn't it? it is I, I, need, I need to choose to know I need to depend on God. That's humbling. You know, I, I, like, I like all, I, there's oftentimes, I like, just like to do it myself. And, and we, we all know when, when kids start growing up a little bit and you used to feed them, and then pretty soon they don't want to f- you to feed them, they want, they want to what? They want to feed themselves. And, and then all of a sudden, all kinds of things, they want to start doing it themselves. And that's a healthy thing on a physical level. But it's not healthy on a spiritual level. We, we never mature enough, we never grow big enough or... Uh, even for us who, who have a tendency to, to focus on the knowledge part, we don't know enough to get that point where we don't need to depend upon God. That's humility. Recognizing there's something within us that is adequate apart from God. And then how that will look is that when we depend upon God, his first step for us is, okay, now as you depend upon God, I want others to be able to depend upon you. You're not looking at it for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. And isn't that how humility works? If, if, if you're dependent upon God, then you're in a position for others to depend upon you. So it begins with humility. And, and then he goes on. So then, then I want you to be gentle. And the reason, I really do believe the reason why a lot of different translations have gentleness or meekness is because you, you need both words there. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very complicated word in terms of the concept of it. And, and the idea, again, speaks about, first of all, our relation with God. It's, it's choosing... To, to understand, uh, to live with power under control as you do what needs to be done in the way that needs to be done. And last time I said to say the things that need to be said in the way they need to be said. But it begins, first of all, with living with understanding that you have power under control. I didn't tell you to turn the page yet. Don't turn the page. All right. Um, what, what does that really mean? That means it kind of gets back to that spiritual test idea. Is that 
that often when you get tested in this area, you're not living under control. You don't feel you're living out of control. Isn't that true? And then when you're, you're living kind of out of control, then you don't respond in such a way that you do the things that need to be done in the way that need to be done or said the things that need to be said in the way that need to be said. Now, let me get out of the theoretical here. Okay, I'm working on these all week, all right? And the older I've, I, I get, okay, I, I, I've, I get a little bit more, more attention deficit disorder. I mean, I'm, I'm multitasking all the time. I'm thinking of all things, and I'm kind of moving around and doing this. And, but there are times where I, I get laser-like focused. And so I had done a number of different things that day, and, and now I was really focusing on, on preparing some of the message, and I got a call, I got to call my cell phone from Alice. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, how can I really communicate what it means to be, be gentle and, and meek? And last time, last time I only gave half the definition, really. And you need to understand that we need to be under control so that we're under, we have that power resonant within us so that we can be gentle when at any moment we don't want to be gentle or feel like being gentle or, or whatever it might be. Saying the things you want to be said and the way to be said or do the things you need to be, need to be done the way to be done. So Alice calls me and... and I'm expecting my lovely wife to say, hi, I was just thinking about you all day, and I just love you. And so, um, uh, so she calls me, and, and she says something to begin with a conversation. And then she asked me to do something. And what she asked me to do something was she asked me if I would ask somebody else to do something that, that then she could have for a, a variety of purposes, okay? Well, you know, I was in my, now I was in my laser-like mode. I'm thinking, okay, you called me. To be the middleman. I mean, instead of calling the person who has the thing that you need, you called me to call the person who has something so that they, then they could give it to me and then I could give it to you. Now, being the gentle and kind guy that I am, <laughs> no. <laughs> I go, Alice, why are you asking me to do this? You, you know. So I kind of gave her a lecture on the phone, you know, and then. Then I got back to my study on gentleness. All right. It is, you see, at that point, you know, I got out of control, all right? You know, I didn't, I didn't stop and, and, okay, okay, she's asking me to do something that really is not going to take me that long. Uh, but, or if I need to make the point, say, well, Alice, you could just simply directly call. But I, I did not respond in a gentle way because I got out of control rather than being in control. So, so what needs to happen? When those things happen, you need to say, okay, don't react. You know, you know respond. Okay, now, okay. God, well, how, do, how do you want me? I, God, you need to be in control right now. How, how can I respond? Now, I could respond in a variety of different ways. I could have just simply said, yes, I'd be glad to do that, honey. Uh, or I could have said, well, that'd be all right, but is it possible you could just call them directly? I, I give that illustration not to throw Alice under the bus because it was what she asked me to do was was you know could have been done in a variety of different ways, which I felt so guilty I ended up doing it anyway. All right, so so, but I I could have said you know in a nice way I could have responded back to her and say okay is it possible you could just call them directly, or I could say oh let me think about it and then if, if I have um, let me think about the rest of my day and if I have time. Uh, I'll call you right back whether I feel I can do that. And what does that do? That just gives us the opportunity. And, and, and that's kind of a silly area, but we, we live like that all the time, don't we? Well, where we, we don't show the fragrance of Christ. We show the elegance of our own flesh. 
And you could, either, you could even be right and wrong at the same time, right? I could possibly justify my telling her initially I wasn't going to do it. But the way I did it made it all wrong. And so meekness and gentleness is being under control. When Jesus got angry, he had a righteous anger and he was in control. We can be angry and sin not. And so as we think about this first steps, we need to be humble, recognize we didn't need to depend upon God. And then secondly, we need to understand that we have power under control. We are not limited to our own natural reactions in the flesh uh, to whatever comes our way. Thirdly, uh, patience. I, I really like it. At least it works for me. It's the idea of choosing to rest in God when life is painful or frustrating and doesn't change quick enough or at all. I'm not naturally a patient person. That's not my natural bent. It is a fruit of the Spirit. All these things come from God. But it's at any point when all of a sudden I am getting impatient, I have a choice to make. Am I going to rest in God's agenda or my own agenda? And am I going to place my life fully and completely under sovereign care or am I going to control everything? It's just resting in God. And let, let's be honest. It's more than, as I shared last week, waiting in a check, checkout stand in a, in a grocery store. There, there are things, and some of you have gone through this over the last you know, year and a half, two years, where you know, a surgery that they gave you three months is going to be recovery, and then it's become six months, and it's a year and a year and a half, and, you, and, and you're not knowing when it's going to be next. Or, 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 and that's what doesn't change quick enough. But there's going to be times where you know it's not going to change at all. You know, you know, you're joking my age, there's kind of come a, a time and age where I'm going to lose more brain cells. You know, there's going to be times where, where I will not be getting better, I'll be getting worse. And the people around me are, are going to have to be even more patient with me because I'm not going to get better, I'm going to get worse. And that's why the, the word patience means suffering long. But, but suffering long, well, what does that mean? It means resting in God. Because when I'm not patient, I'm fighting Either with God or the circumstance. Isn't that what, isn't that what impatience is? Man, I, you know, I can't get this to, you know, I don't care if it's, you know, you're stuck in traffic or, you're, or someone that you've worked with doesn't seem to be responding and whatever it might be. And, it, and I'm fighting the circumstance, I'm fighting the person, and I'm not resting in God. Fourthly, love, which is forbearing love. And I, I, I two quick definitions of that. No, uh, number one, I, love choose to focus on how god loves you and then love others in the same way that's what forbearing love is it's just understanding that because god has loved you so much that you have a capacity to love and there's so many passages where it says that god pours his love out into our hearts through his holy spirit that it is a fruit of of walking with him but it really has the idea if, if you realize if i realize how much god loves me don't don't i have a little left over to spill over on other people and love them in the same way they do me that he does me in a forbearing way, putting up with so much because God puts up so much with me. And then last one, diligence. It's choosing to remember God has given his best and then give God your best. I could probably you know, write that in a variety of different ways, but I think the fifth quality, and it really in the passage speaks about a very specific area where it says being diligent or endeavoring to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's the passage it talks about. Which is saying when, it, when people can't get along, it's easier to say, well, if they can't get along, I'm, just, I'm, I'm bolting, I'm getting out of here. I'm, I'm just, and and that's, how, that's some response. And when there's arguments, people sometimes just leave. Well, there might be a cooling off 
time, but hopefully they don't leave forever. They got to come back and make it make it right, make it well. And that takes work. And really, I think the the, the first and the fifth tie together because all those things are going to take everything that we have for us to live a humble, gentle, patient, loving lifestyle, which is the first steps of doing what God wants us to do so that specific things God wants us to do flow out of a life that walk with Christ. So that's, that's, that's Christianity 101. That's baby steps. That's first steps for us all. Are those things marking how we see the Christian life? Well, well Paul puts that in, 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 the, in the context of being in, endeavoring to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're going to look at that in a moment. We now look at what are, what are some things exactly God wants us to do together in the church. And I, uh, I promise I'll do this in nine minutes, all right? Uh, take your Bibles and let's look at it. So this morning we've only done two things, though you might have said I, had a, I said a lot of things. Really, we just took a spiritual test and then we looked at baby steps. Now what's up next? Well, one, we have to learn to live with one another. And in verses 3 through 6, he, he goes on, what is the foundation for our oneness? Uh, verse, verse 3 and to six. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, uh, as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. When you get in disagreement, when I get in disagreement with people, uh, it could be people I know really well or people I don't know at all, I, I usually focus on the things that make us different than make us what? The same. I'm thinking all the things, why can't you think about this the way I think about it? How can't you analyze it the way I analyze it? How come you can't get it right? You know, you got it wrong, I got it right. Whatever it might be. Why, why, why do you feel that way? That's just, that's foolish to feel that. You got to feel, you know, whatever it might be. And you're, and you're, you're, um, you're looking at all kinds of issues. And, and issues need to be dealt with. But you focus on what you have that are different rather than what you have that are the same. And Paul says, look, it, you're, you need to understand this group that I put you together, which is called the church, what is it you have in common? And he, he lists seven things. He says, just to begin with, you got one body, you got one spirit, you got you got uh, one hope, you got one faith, you got one baptism, you got one Lord, you got one God. Uh, you know, uh, new math: one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one. I hope that was seven. Equals what? It equals one. Seven ones added together equal one. Just think about your oneness, and, and work hard, focusing on what you have in common. And so what does Christ now want you together to do in the church? Live in unity and peace because of what unites us. And I guess the, the flavor of the month for, for unity is we're at peace. We're at peace. Uh, sometimes I forget what I say in one service and the other. I think it was last week I, I talked about, I was just seeing Dean here. You know, there were, when I was in, doing junior high ministry and, and one of the little girls said, I, I got a prayer request uh, I want to pray for a fire to come. <laughs> you want to pray for a fire? Why? Because at, at the fire, at fire station, they're all, man, they're all on each other. They're just, they're all angry at each other and disagreement. And when they, when they fight a fire, they're all one. Because they have a common cause. They have one purpose. Put out the fire. We got so much in common. And that will, that's what will unify us. But then he goes on, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I'm not going to unpack that because it's going to be 
seen a little bit more now and in our life group Bible study this week where this is really going to be the emphasis, is the word grace there is the word charis, charis, and it really has the idea of God's enabling power to live out what all we've talked about so far. But then he gets very specific there, according to Christ's gift. And, and, and really the idea here is he's speaking of Christ giving himself, but also not only giving himself, but what he gives to each one of us. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says that each one of us has been given a gift to serve one another. And so as we begin now to get very practical, God wants us, as we live out the Christian life, understand that he has given us a gift, an ability to, to be used of him in a unique way in the body of Christ. Jesus had all the gifts. None of us have all the gifts. All of us have a unique gift. And that unique gift is to be used for God. And when we don't use that, then there, it doesn't get done in the way God wants it done. And we will talk more and more about that in days to come. But God wants us to understand that, that we're here for a purpose. And just like taking out some critical part in a physical body or some machine, you, you, can, uh, you can cause all kinds of things not to happen when one part is left out. But then... He gets kind of crazy here. He, he starts writing, he goes, well, and that's why I don't read the Bible. And then he starts saying some things, he goes, what in the world are you talking about? And he goes, therefore, he says, after he says, each of us given, was, to each one of us was grace, each one of us was given a gift, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us have that. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, but what does it mean that he also descended in the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, and what he might fill all things. That's really clear, isn't it? <laughs> what is he saying here? Well, let me give you the main point, and then we'll just de- debrief that a little bit. He's simply saying, you know, that even though we, we on this side of him writing this, it seems like it's a simple point. Yeah, he's all given us a gift. He's all given us an ability to serve him. Maybe it's a way to serve him. And you say, well, okay, God gave a gift. But for them, they're thinking, man, this seems too, too wild. You know, I don't feel that gifted. I, I don't feel like there's anything I can do. Uh, really? And so what he does here, he's, he speaks to the, the authority of the one who's able to give gifts. You know, I, I, could, I could say here, I'm going to give you all a billion dollars today. Anybody going to line up very fast to get that billion dollar check out of my checking account? Well, Grant, I, I appreciate you said that, but, but mine, mine's a little bit less than that in my checking account. I, I don't have the right to give people a billion dollars because I don't have a billion dollars. And, and so as he thinking about all the people everywhere to give gifts to, he, he just simply says, look, Jesus, again, is worthy. And he, and he talks about that. Uh, let me just say it real briefly. Verse 8. Therefore, he says, God says, uh, and this is an Old Testament passage that he uses applying to Jesus. When he, Jesus, ascended on high at his ascension, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. When Jesus left planet, beam me up, not Scotty, Star Trek, but beam me up God, what did he do? He, he once and for all set free those who were bound in sin. And the idea there was when, when people would, would go into battle, one nation against another nation, 
and the, the, the winning nation, what would happen is they'd go into the, that country and they'd take all the spoils, okay? If you've got some riches, you've got some things that I want, I'm going to take them with me. And during this battle, if you've taken some people prisoner, okay, I'm going to set the prisoners free and, I, and I'm going to, when I go back to our, our capital, I'm going to bring the, the, the prisoners that, were, that once were enslaved and are now set free, and I'm going to bring all the spoils. And that's what he's saying here. And when he brought back the spoils, he would distribute it among the people of his kingdom. And so he says, I gave these gifts to men as I won this great victory. And that's what it says in First Thessalonians you know, 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he amplifies it in verse 9. Now, this, he ascended. What does it mean? But he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now, he who ascended, he ascended, obviously, at the resurrection, and then he ascended into the glories of heaven. What does it mean that he descended in the lower parts of the earth, the one who came from heaven to us at what's, at what's called Christmas, okay? Uh, later, not only came to the earth at Christmas, but he went to the lower parts of the earth, uh, and he did something. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all things, that he might fill all things. So we're talking about... The incarnation of Christ descending from heaven. And then we we're talking about the descension of Christ uh, from heaven as being the incarnation. And when he ascended, it was resurrection and also going into the, into the heavenlies. But he does say something here that if you want a, a passage to look at, look at, uh, is it Second Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 19? No, it's First Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. And, and what it says there that, that Jesus gave himself for us, but then it said that he went into the lower parts uh, where Satan's domain was, is uh, in terms of uh, locality and the demons there that had been judged already, Jesus came in and said, look, you who thought you won when I went to the cross, you didn't, you didn't, I didn't lose, you lost. You didn't win, I won. And he announced the, the victory that was won to those who were his enemies of that day. And, and so basically what he's saying here, that Jesus has the right to give gifts to all men because he's the one who descended and ascended. He's the one who won the victory, the battle over death and sin. And he has the right to give gifts. And so when we say that we are not gifted, who are we now uh, speaking down to? Jesus. I'm not very gifted. So I told you I gave you gifts. I know, but I'm not. No, Jesus has the right and authority to give gifts, and he's given you gifts. And then finally. And he himself gave some as apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So as, 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 as Jesus instituted and, and put together the unique institution called the church that was not in the old testament he had his covenant with the people of israel but when he he brought the church into existence in which people of every tribe every tongue of every place with people from every walk of life that would come together in the midst of diversity and become a representation collectively of of christ that that for him to form that body and to lead that body he gave special gifts to leaders who would, who would be, begin to lay down the foundation of that thing called the church. Just simply quickly, I know I'm, I'm getting some kind of some quick things at you, but it's interesting as, as, as God looked at the church, 
he begins with saying, I, I want you to be diligent to get along. Can't we all just get along, you know? He, he said, I want you to be unified. I want you to be uh, filled with peace. But as he says that, he says, I want you to understand in the midst of being unified, you guys are all different. How can we have unity in the midst of diversity? And, and that's, that's where the real rub is, isn't it? If, if everyone, I don't, you, know, you ever play mind games? You know, what, what would this world be like if everyone was like me? Now, my answer is it would be heaven on earth. But anyway, no. How, what would it be like? You know, what would it be like if everyone was just like me? It'd be chaos. Okay. So is, God has a purpose for us being different, being diverse. And sometimes we, we love that diversity, and, and then sometimes we don't. And, and that's, let me, my wife, God bless her, you know, is, is you know, for those of you who just really think that she's going to get a higher place in heaven because she was married to me, you're right. All right. So <laughs> is that, is, is, so this is not speaking about her. I'm, I'm the one who has to say I'm sorry many more times than Alice ever has to even think about doing it. All right. But, you know, in doing marriage counseling and, and observing marriages, you know, in a formal way, you know, being in the ministry, you know, people are so excited when they get married. I mean, the, the thing is that, that are, that are different about each part of the spouse, that I, you know, that diversity, you know, the things that, that just, they're so enamored because they, they, you, 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 you complete me, you know. And then they get married, and those things that they used to love about that person, now they can't stand because it irritates them. They, they didn't mind them being a little different, but then when they got married, now they're a lot different, all right? Well, then the challenge is to be diligent to make that marriage work. And so in a church, with all that a diversity, we, we need to be diligent to preserve the unity that God wants in his church. And what he does in terms of forming the church, he gave prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastor teachers to lead the church, particularly in the formation of the church, so that we had, we had a very simple, clear statement of what God wants us to be. And so as we think about, well, you know, Jesus is not here like he was with the disciples. How are we supposed to live? Well, God's put it right here. And so we, we are living out God's plan when we submit to the God of leadership that he has given us in the past and continues on. So what's the final, final question? You can do it. The question is, are you going to do it? Are, are you going to live in light of making sure that that spiritual test is, is always in the affirmative, yes? Are, are you going to take the baby steps that actually you need to take every day? And, and then are you going to begin doing what God wants you to do by taking that which God has made you to be, that special gift, and living it out? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Well, I know uh, this is a mouthful this morning, but I, I know it's been challenging for me to try to put this into practice. And as we think about that happening, it only happens because of the power of the cross and the power of the sacrifice that was made. And when we take of the cup and we take of the bread, it, it reminds us that, that we are a needy people. We need your grace to be saved and we need your grace to live out like we have been saved. Father, might we all just consider where we are with you.
Do we really know you? Or are we just going through the motions? And if we know you, are, are we giving your, you our best because you've given us your best? Might this be a time of real worship as we celebrate the sun? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.